Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ, Season 7, Episode Number 4. Got another good topic for y'all today. Today, we're going to talk about former players who have become skill development trainers. Um, You see it a lot. I have my reasons to believe why so many former players are becoming trainers. Um, You know, when you have a love for the game, it's hard to get away from it. You know, you know, if you think about it, you've been playing basketball since you were four or five, six years old, as early as four or five, six years old. And now you're 22, you know, fresh out of college or you play a little professional basketball, you're 25, 26, 27 or even in your 30s. You know, that's a, it's an that's an easy thing to navigate into. Uh, so but we'll we'll talk about that. We'll get into some reasons for that. But before we jump into the episode, uh, I want y'all to, I'm going to give y'all my, my social media and information. Be sure to follow me on social media on Twitter. You can follow at NBNBball, also on IG at NBNBball. And if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at SDP underscore podcast. Be sure to visit my website, tjonesfirm.com for any consulting on skill development. I got some new things that's coming down the pipeline for 2022. I'm really excited about it. Uh, so y'all make sure to follow me on social media so you know when those things come about. Um, but if you need to contact me about any type of any type of skill development, consulting, I, I have workshops. Um, if you need a skill development plan that I've done for some colleges, or I'm sorry, not colleges, some high schools, high school programs. Um, I could put that together for you. We can collab on that. And and you can reach me at, at my email, info at tjonesfirm.com. Last thing, be sure to share my podcast with your circle of influence. So anybody that you know, player, parent, colleague, coaches, trainer, that you feel like this is valuable and they may need to hear uh, a particular episode or any of my episodes, be sure to be sure to send it to them. Let them know that, um, you know, my podcast can be heard on any of their favorite podcast platforms. So any of the platforms you prefer, prefer, it's available. It's on there. Spotify, Apple, uh, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to your podcast is available. And also while you're there, especially if you're on the Apple podcast, give me a five star rating. The higher my ratings, the more ratings I have, the more exposure I get. And I want to get this out to as many people as possible. So that is the intro. Let's get on into the episode. Uh, do former players make the best trainers? So if you're a parent and you're looking for a trainer for your kid, for your athlete, for your son or daughter, should you train with someone because they play ball, specifically college or pro? Um, former players don't always equal good trainers. OK, a lot of times what happened is as parents, when we didn't achieve something, if we didn't play at a high level or play on a high level and we didn't play in high school or we didn't play uh, in college or we might have been just a role player and someone comes along and says, hey, I was a all conference or all American collegiate player. I was an all-state high school player. I played four years overseas. Um, I can help your player get better. That's not, that's not totally true. 
Uh, now, there are some advantages. And let's talk about that. There are some advantages for a former player being a trainer. Now, this is what I consider a former player. You can play in middle school and say, hey, yeah, I played basketball. I'm talking about someone that's got a lot of experience, played through high school, possibly in college, or even at the professional ranks. So when I say a former player, I'm talking, some, talking about someone that, that's played through high school. Okay, um, If you played in seventh grade and eighth grade, there's so much you didn't experience. So I'm not even I'm not considering those former players. I'm talking about through high school, uh, into college and possibly into the professional ranks. OK, so there are some advantages. So if you're a former player and you're training and you're working with the kid, you have an understanding of what they could be going through, like a really good understanding of what what they are going through. So any adversity, any issues with teammates, you know, not getting the plan time that they want, uh, you know, having to deal with pressure, anything like that, you can understand because everything that that player or any players that you may be training, anything that they're going to be experiencing, you're probably going to experience too. The one thing that I can say with me, I'm, I'm 42. One thing that a kid may experience with basketball that I can say that I've never experienced is social media. I didn't have to deal with social media and playing basketball when I was in high school. Social media wasn't around. So I didn't worry about, you know, if I'm if someone crosses me up and hits a shot, then it's going to be. It's going to be a clip that's played on social media over and over and over again. So I, I don't have to, I didn't have to worry. I don't have to worry about that. That's one thing I didn't have to experience. Something similar to that, which will be on a much smaller scale, would be someone cross you up. They hit a jumper. Someone cross you up. They get to the rim and your teammates talking about you or your students at school talking about, you know, you got crossed up or your, someone broke your ankles. So you'd have to deal with that. But typically, that would last one to two days. Games on Friday, somebody may remember it on Monday because you got to remember when I, was in, when I was in school back in the 90s, we played on a Friday night. You come back to school on Monday, and a whole lot of people really wasn't talking about the game. You know, it was sort of like, you know, that was, that was, that was last week. So, you know, it kind of depends. That, that was my experience. Uh, but someone may bring it up. You know, if, if you get into a little, if you get in a conversation with someone and y'all kind of going back and forth, someone may bring it up. But by Wednesday or Thursday, at the latest, nobody's even thinking about that anymore. But, but with social media, it lives on social media forever and ever and ever for an extended period of time. So someone can always bring that clip back up. Someone can always repost it, reshare it. So that's something that some players have to deal with that I've never experienced before. But outside of that, pretty much not being able to make shots, not getting playing time, in a slump, losing confidence, dealing with pressure, dealing with parents, um, you know, getting into it with teammates, all that stuff a, a former player has probably experienced in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, the playing experience, just... Just being out there on the court, 
just knowing what is what it takes and what it's like, how it feels, you know, the nervousness before a game, how to deal with your, uh, you know, the anxiety, you know, um, playing in the game when your team is down and you bring you help bring your team back to win the game or having a big lead and not playing or not playing well to finish it out. And then you lose the game, losing at the last second, winning at the last second, how to play against certain players, how to play against certain defenses. What is it that you see your experiences when it comes to playing? Um, Also, it could be something like knowing what it takes to be successful. Now, this is a tricky one because everybody is different. What works for a trainer or a former player may not work for Johnny or Marcus, right? So you have to be aware of that. So if what works for me might have been, I'm going to get up every morning at 5 a.m. and go to the gym because the way my my day is set up and the way my schedule is. So I got to get up at 5 a.m. Johnny or Marcus or Sarah or Lisa may not be able to get up at 5 5 a.m., but they can do their work at Every day after school at 4 p.m. So just because I got up at 5 doesn't mean I'm more dedicated than the person that's going every day at 4. We have to get that out of our mind. We have to get that thought out of our mind that I have to get up real early to be more dedicated than the kid that's coming in the evening. Okay? I want to get the best out of my out of my training session. So if my trainers, if I can get the best out of my training session in the evening or early evening, then that's when I need to do it. Doesn't necessarily mean I got to be get up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and try to get stuff done. Right. So that's the side note. Um, so those are some advantages of, a, of being a former player. Right. Of being a former player training uh, kids now. Uh, now, there's been some successful and unsuccessful coaches that are former players. Now, I say coaches because the the, the names I'm about to I'm about to uh, uh tell you they coached at the high level. They coached in the NBA. Okay? They coached in the NBA. They did they weren't doing skill development, but they were still coaching. Okay? Skill development coach, skill development trainer, developer, training and coaching goes hand in hand, okay? So here are some coaches who struggled. These are former players, former NBA players who decided to coach and uh, they struggled at the NBA. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is arguably one of the top five players to ever pick up a basketball Definitely top 10, depending on who your who your favorite players are. He's one of the top five, top 10 players of all time. Isaiah Thomas, one of the top point guards, top players, the top point guards ever to play basketball. Bob Cousy, Willis Reed, Elgin Baylor, and Wes Onsell. All of those players are Hall of Famers. They played at a very high level. Okay, played at a very high level. And they they wasn't they weren't quite successful coaching at the NBA at the NBA level. And I think all of them coached the NBA. They might have coached some of them might have coached in college, but they they coached and they weren't that successful. Okay, 
Now, let's look at coaches who were successful that played in the NBA. Doc Rivers, Phil Jackson, and some people say Phil Jackson is the greatest basketball coach ever. Pat Riley, Larry Brown, Steve Kerr. Now, if you look at the difference between those two lists, the coaches who struggled and and the coaches who were successful, the coaches that were successful were more role players when they played the NBA. Okay, they still played at a high level, but they were role players. Those that struggled were more of the 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 man, the man, the the guy, the go-to guy. So, you know, there's different ways you can look at that. Because sometimes, as a player, this is this is what I want players. Uh, Players that are playing right now and parents to understand when you're working with a trainer, specifically a former, a former player that's training your child. What worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And what worked for me doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. Okay? So if your trainer... Or if that trainer is just talking about what they did and how they did this, I'm telling you, this is this is this is gonna make you successful. You gotta do it this way. That's not true. Every player is different. I I train every player differently. I have the same philosophy, I have the 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 same standards, the same expectations, but my delivery for each player is different. I can't train, you know this fourth grader the same way I train the 11th grader. Now, both of them use, they, they, they both get my philosophy. They know what my standards are. They know what my expectations are. But when I'm working with this fourth grader, I got to understand they're a fourth grader. And I understand that they're going to struggle in some things because of their body hasn't developed. They don't have the coordination you know, their IQ is going to be low because they could be just just learning how to play for the first time. They're learning a lot of things. This 11th grader has way more experience. Their terminology is better. The IQ is higher. Their body is more than likely uh, developed. Uh, their coordination is going to be different. So uh, and they're going to be more mature. So and that's really key, the maturity level. So the maturity level of the fourth grader I have to understand how to communicate with them. And I know I'm kind of getting off topic just a little bit, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is what 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 worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for both of them. So the fourth grader with their maturity level, I got to coach them and train them to their maturity level to a certain degree. With this 11th grader, I got to coach and train them to a certain maturity level. So there are certain things I can say to the 11th grader, the certain expectations I can put on the 11th grader, certain Standards I can put on eleventh grader that I can't put on the fourth grader. That fourth grader has to be very mature as an individual, and mature I mean I don't necessarily mean acting goofy, but mature in their approach to basketball. Um, if they're if they're mature in that sense, I can put different expectations and standards on them. That's that's a little more mature for a fourth grader. Uh, and it may be the same as the 11th grader. I don't know. It just, it just all depends 
on that on that player. Okay, um, so the the former player has to change their mindset. Understand that every player can't learn the same. They can't learn the way I learn, and I have to be adaptable to the situation. So I have to be able to understand and read the player. And, and I'm going to throw y'all out. It's not really a secret, but it's something that I learned. Whenever I'm talking with a, with a player or I'm working with a player, I always pay attention to how they respond to their parents and how their parents talk to them. Because that tells me a lot um, on how I can coach them. So if a parent is really the type that's onto them all the time, you know, fussing at them about going faster, fussing at them about this, you got to do this, you got to do that. I know that that's a turnoff because I can look at their body language and their facial expressions. They may not say anything, but I can look at their facial expressions and their body language. And it tells me everything I need to know. So I can look at them and be like, OK, so they need more encouraging and encouragement to get them to do what I want them to do than to be fussing at them. So I understand that. And then once I get them to buy in, then I can hold them accountable. Um, and, and my tone and my talk and my delivery can change. But I first got to get them to buy in to what it is I'm trying to get them to do. So if I'm trying to get them to go harder, trying to get them to go faster, trying to get them to not worry about mistakes, I have to get them to buy in. And once they buy in, then I can slowly change my tone. And when I say change my tone, I don't mean screaming and cussing at them at the top of my lungs, but I can be a little more stern in my delivery when I'm talking to them because they, they've already bought in and they know that it's coming from a place of quote unquote love. Or it's coming from a place of, I see something in you, I know you can do it, versus just to be fussing at them because I feel like, I don't want them to feel like I'm not, I, they're not reaching my expectations. You know, I want them to do certain things. No, I want you to believe that you can do certain things. Okay? So, all this stuff goes into skill development. A lot of people don't think about these things. They just think it's... Go online, find some drills, run kids through some drills, collect some money, and then send them home. And it's so much more than that. So much more than that. Okay? Um, another thing former players have to do, they still have to learn the game and know what they did to be successful. Again, may not work for someone else. But you got to learn the game. You have to learn the game. We don't want to be stuck in a certain place because we played and we want to think that, okay, I played the game. I know what I'm talking about. The game evolves and the game changes. So 1997, I graduated high school. Every team had five positions, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. You still see those five positions, but really today you see three positions. Ball handler slash point guard, wing player, and post. And when I graduated in 97, even into college, uh, the post player was on the block. Every trip down, they got on the low block. Today's game, post players are not just posting up on the low block or the mid post. They're at the high post. 
They're doing dribble handoffs. They're setting screens and not just rolling to the basket or short rolling. They're popping for the three, right? So you have post players that are really changing the game, and the game has really been changed. So as a player, I got to know that. I can't just expect to do the same thing or just, okay, this is how it's done and this is how I'm going to teach. No, I got to continue to learn the game, be involved in the game, uh, uh, no offenses, no defenses, no schemes, no all these different things so I can teach that to, uh, to players, Okay. So how big of a role does playing experience have in becoming a great coach? Uh, it does have a role. I, I, I do believe that. I do believe, you know, you have a little bit of an advantage, uh, like I mentioned before. Um, but it's a small role. There's, there still has to be countless hours engaged in things like curriculum development. Okay, curriculum development. Well, what's that? Well, curriculum development is... Uh, if I have a kid that come to me and they're learning how to play or they've never played before or they're not that experienced and they're not, they don't know how to shoot the ball the correct way, how am I going to teach them how to shoot? What is my curriculum? What are my steps? What are my teaching points? What am I going to tell them? And does this mean that you have to have something down on paper that's very detailed? No. You don't have to have a 10,000-page curriculum of how you're going to teach shooting, but you need to have something organized. So when, when, when you come in and you're working with that player, you can identify the problem, you can tell them what the problem is and how you're going to fix it. And then you work on that, Okay. Um, but you got to have some type of curriculum. Um, there's countless hours of planning and organizing, right? Planning your training session, getting organized, how you're going to do things. You know, you got your professional development, you know, do you have a mentor? Do you, do you have a website that you can go to not just for drills, but for learning how to teach? Because if you're not learning how to teach, what are you doing? If you're not teaching a skill, you are having players master a drill. And that's why I hate the term skills and drills when people say that. Oh, man, we're doing skills and drills. If you say skills and drills, I just think, oh, I'm just putting kids. I'm just finding some different drills and I'm running them through them. Because the skill could be we're working on ball handling and shooting. I'm going to dribble through some cones and shoot a jump shot. So I don't like, I just, that's just a person. I don't like the term skills and drills. But um, you have to be able to, to teach the game. It's not just running drills. It's teach. The drill is your means to get from point A to point B. But the, the sweet spot, that, that part that's golden, is what you are teaching that player. How to execute the drill or how to execute the skill, why we're doing this skill, when you need to perform this drill or this skill within the game, and then applying the defense, making reads, making adjustments, like all that is important. Uh, player coach assessment. 
Okay. You have to assess the relationship that you have with the player. You have to assess the player. Okay. Not just the relationship, but just individually have to assess the player. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Uh, what are some opportunities for them to get better? What can keep them? So basically, it's a SWOT analysis. SWOT, S-W-O-T. Strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. What can stop them from getting better? And so if I'm working with a player and I'm doing a SWOT analysis, and, and again, these type of things don't have to be detailed, 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 in, intricate details where you got all this stuff wrote down. But you can look at a player and say, okay, here are your strengths. Here are your weaknesses. Um, here's where I can see you getting better. And then here are some threats. The threats could be they are not committed to coming in or working on their game like they should. Threats could be, you know, you think they may need to come twice a week. Parents can only afford one one day a week. Um, A threat could be that, um, you know, they live too far away. You know, so anything that can stop them from improving or hindering their progress could be a threat. Okay, could be a parent. (laughs) It could be a parent. It could be a parent also. Um, So you got to just be able to assess how the player is progressing. Um, As a coach, you have to assess yourself. How can I get better? How can I run this session better? Um, I do this a lot, really really with my group, because I'm always thinking of how we can get better. What can I do to help them be able to uh, understand that what we're working on is going to translate into competition? So I'm always looking for things that help them with with their competition. So um, where can I get better? Again, as a coach, sometimes you may feel like, man, I didn't do a good job with them today on teaching. whether it was footwork or whatever. So you assess that. Next time y'all meet, you go through it again, you do a better job. You know, organizing, drill implement, implementation, time on task, all that stuff is, is, is huge. You know, so if a player is shooting, then I want to go ahead, if I'm using cones or any type of props or chairs or any type of gadgets, I might tell them to go to the free throw line and shoot some free throws, and then I'm working I'm setting up for the next drill, okay? Um, anything like that. Before practice, before the session start, I may get all the stuff that I need close to the court so I don't have to waste time walking back and forth trying to get stuff and setting things up, okay? Um, the best coaches, best coaches, whether you're a former, former player or not, the best coaches gain qualifications and experiences that are valuable. Qualifications and experiences that are valuable. So if you are a former player and you see this a lot, former player, they get done playing, easiest thing to do is to jump into skill development. It is. It really is. But you got to gain some experiences. And what are some of those experiences that are valuable? You can have a degree in kinesiology, right? A lot of times players, a lot, uh, 
There are some players that know when they go into college that they want to coach basketball. So they get a degree in kinesiology or health or they do something with sports science. Uh, They do something to that nature. And even though that's not specific to skill development, it gives you a, a, a foundation of, uh, or a knowledge that's, that can help you, right? Understanding the muscles and all these different things because players come to you with stuff. I mean, I have players come to me about, Coach, my knee is hurting. You know, what should I do? And I'm like, man, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but people are going to ask. You know, I, I, I dislocated my finger or I jammed my thumb or what should I do? My body is sore, uh, twisted my ankle and oh, well, you, you know, so they're always going to be asking about things about their body. So it's good to have some type of little, little bit of knowledge that can help them in the right direction or lead them in the right direction. And I tell you this, if you don't know, tell them to go to the doctor. <laughs> All right. Or give them a number to somebody or information of somebody that can help them uh, more specifically. Um, so being a coach or, or a trainer or a teacher, you know, I, I tell people, I, I think this is really big. Um, try to take some type of class where you learn how to teach. I know you got to go into that field, really. Uh, but if you know how to teach, it, um, it surely will help with basketball. I can tell you that. Um, coaching youth sports. Even though, so what happens is if you're if you're trying to do it the right way, boys and girls club, recreational teams, and I'm talking about young teams. If you really want to learn and understand teaching, young teams, young players with limited uh, experience. I'm not talking about all oh, gonna go coach this, help coach this elite youth team that everybody's already got skills and. There's 12 players on, there's 10 players on the team, and every single one of them are going to go play in college next year. Six of them have got Division I scholarships. That team is easy when it comes to skill development, okay? And I say that, I say that with caution, okay? It's easier for them because they're going to have a, a baseline and a foundation that's going to be completely different than coaching some fourth graders that's never picked up a basketball before. You know, there's some third and fourth graders that's dribbling with two hands. There are some third and fourth graders that dribble, pick it up, dribble, pick it up. There are some third and fourth graders that shoot with two hands. There are some third and fourth graders that don't understand how to move it. Like all these different things. And if, when you're looking at that, that's going to test your patience. That's going to that's gonna test if you really want to teach. And a lot of times what happens is, a lot of people will see that, oh, Coach TJ played in college. My son is, is starting to want to play basketball. He's third grade. I want him to work with Coach TJ because Coach TJ is a former college player. I want my son to play in college one day. And then I get this third grader, and we got a one-on-one session because Mama wanted, wanted him to do a one-on-one session. And I look up, and it's like, his attention span is short. Um, you know, he has a hard time following directions. He has a hard time staying focused. He don't want to dribble with his left hand. 
You're trying to get them to shoot with one hand, but they don't want to. They just want to throw the ball up at the basket. They just want to see the ball go in. So all that plays a part in in teaching and training. So you know you may want to get with someone that's got experience coaching at that level, and you be the assistant, and you kind of learn from them, and that helps you become a better trainer. Okay. Um, you can do an internship. So if someone has got a an elite AAU team or a program and they've got teams from third grade all the way up to to the high school, you know, hey, everybody gotta work their way through. You gotta understand, you know, you might do an internship or you might be volunteering with them and and you work with the with the young team and then you work your way up to the to the high school team. Okay. Um so those are those are some of the things. Now, but but before we're gonna wrap this thing up, let's talk about real quick why a lot of former players get into skill development. And I have my theory. Um I will say this. I got into skill development on accident back in 2001. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to coach in college. Uh, when I graduated, uh, when I was in college, I got finished playing. I played my 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 last collegiate game. I moved back home, and I was finishing up school at University of Central Arkansas. And the men's head coach saw me on campus and asked me to work with the team's player, uh, a a team, the team's returning returning point guard. I didn't know what to do, so that was my first taste of skill development. And I was like, you know, I kind of like that. You know, like I like working with them uh, in a one-on-one situation. Um, and then I started when I graduated, I didn't have a I didn't I didn't find a coaching position. So I got into insurance adjusting. And when I would come home, I wouldn't have anything to do because the independent insurance, I would have, I would work a storm, come home for a few months. And then leave and go work another storm. And it was hard to come home and find a job for a few months and then have to leave the job for a few months and then come back and try to find. So I wasn't doing anything. So I kind of started doing some training to kind of, you know, for the for the time. Uh, But here's my theory on why I think a lot of a lot of. Former players and not just former players, but. Parents. Fans, um, I was listening to a podcast about a month ago, and someone on that podcast, they were, they kind of talked on this subject, and they said skill development or basketball skill development is the most disrespected profession that you can think of. And I totally agree with that. Basketball skill development is the most disrespected profession that you can get into because it's so easy to get into. There's no governing body. There's no certification that you have to have. Um, and everybody thinks that they can coach or teach or train kids in basketball. Baseball is different. Um, swimming <laughs> is different. Golf is different. Tennis 
different. Um, even softball, like these different sports that that I've seen, and, and I say that on the outside looking in because I'm not actually in that circle. But basketball is the only sport where you can go to your any athletic store and you can spend as little as twenty dollars on the ball. You can get you a rubber ball. You can go anywhere in the city, in any city. I don't care what city, what little bitty town you're in. If you have a school or you got a public park, there are going to be basketball goals. And anybody can go to one of those courts. And now with social media, you can put flyers, digital flyers on your Facebook, on your Instagram, on your Twitter, on your Snapchat and say, I'm doing basketball training and you can do it for free. Or you can do it for as little as $5 a person. And you'll have somebody say, oh, my kid can learn how to play basketball for $5 every session. And they may get 15 kids out there, be running around not knowing what they're doing. And so it's so disrespectful because everybody thinks that they can teach it or coach it, right? That's why you have so many parents that get mad, you know, they're watching their kid and they feel like their kid is being disrespected. And they said, well, I'm going to go and coach my own team. Everybody thinks that since they played it, whether they played through college or professional or whether they played through seventh grade, that they can teach the game. And it's, it, to me, it's just so disrespected. Um, that's my, my true belief on that. Now, why do I think former players get involved in it? And so many former players, because I think, you 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 wanna you wanna do something with the game. So a lot of the players don't really want to coach because when you coach, if you if you play college and let's say you you didn't graduate, you know, your four years was up and you had an opportunity to go play pro, right? And you go and you play pro for three, four, or five years, and then you come back and you're like, okay. I don't have a contract. I don't want to go back to school because I wouldn't mind coaching. But in order for me to coach in high school or junior high or middle school, I got to have an education. I got to have a certain. And I'm not saying that all athletes are like this. But skill development is so easy to get into because of what I just said a couple of minutes ago. I can put up a flyer or I can tell people I'm a former college player. I'm a former professional player. And then I can jump right into it. There's no governing body. There's no certification. All I need is a rubber ball and an outdoor court to get started. And I can start a skill development business, come up with a name, and start a business for $20. That's it. That's all it takes. I don't need a website. I don't need none of that. All I need... Yeah, this is this is all a person needs to start a skill development company. One basketball, because I can go to a public outdoor court if I need to. Okay, I need one basketball, a Facebook account, a Twitter account, Snapchat or Instagram, any of those social media. So I need a basketball, social media and cash app. That's it. If I got a basketball uh, social media and cash app, I can start a company 
or a business or training for $20. That's, that's all I need to do. So a lot of former players jump into it because it's easy for them to jump into. And a lot of times former players are jumping into it because they don't have anything else to do. They do it as a placeholder. This is going to hold me down until I figure out what it is I want to do. I see that all the time. <laughs> I see that all the time. So it's not a bad thing. I'm not bashing former players. I'm a former player. I play. Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't use it as a way to try to get clients, but I play. I know a lot of trainers that are former players, but I went through a lot of different things today to talk about, you know, do former players make the best trainers? And let's circle back to that question. Do former players make the best trainers? And that answer is no. They don't 100% make the best trainers. It can help in certain situations, but there's no certainty. So every coach, every coach, I don't care who you decide to take your kid to, every coach still has to learn to grow, has to learn and grow and grow through professional development to continue to learn how to teach the game. I don't care how much experience you have. I don't care how good of a player you were. I don't care if you played in the NBA for 15 years or if you played through seventh grade. The player that played through seventh grade, and you can have an NBA player, if that NBA player is just going off of what he thinks he knows, he or she knows, and they're not trying to learn and grow and understand teaching and, and relationships and standards and expectations, they're not going to be any better of a, of a coach or a teacher than the parent that's off the street. But you take that parent that's off the street, that's got a mentor, and they're studying and they're learning, they're understanding the game. And they could be a way better trainer or a teacher or a coach than the former NBA or the professional player or the former college player. So it all comes down to that. So that is it for today's episode. Um, you know, season seven, I hope y'all are enjoying it. I'm trying to give y'all some some a different perspective when it comes to skill skill development other than just uh hey this is what you do with footwork and passing and shooting and all those things are good but there are so many resources for that um you know I'm always thinking outside the box I'm always trying to think of something a little bit different uh when it comes to that so um again let me give y'all my social media before I let y'all go you can follow me on Twitter at nbnbball also on Instagram, at NBNBball. If you want to follow the podcast, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at SDP underscore podcast. Visit my website, tjonesfirm.com, for consulting on skill development. That's workshops, that's skill development programs for teams, individuals, organizations. Um, you can email me, info at tjonesfirm.com. Also, real quick, when it comes to the consulting, if you have a school district and you have multiple schools, and that could be... Uh, multiple high schools, multiple middle schools, and you have the boys and girls program and you would like someone to come in and talk to your district, to your coaches about skill of them. I have a whole workshop that's put together that will be great. And, and again, it's a lot like these podcasts. It's not coming in and showing them drills. It's teaching and talking about the skill development process, how, things they need to consider, things they need to understand and how to put together a program 
uh, it would be very, very beneficial. Y'all be sure to send an email to info at tjonesfirm.com. And also, last thing, be sure to share my podcast with your, inner, with your circle of influence. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's available on all your favorite podcast platforms. And give me a five-star rating. Well, that is it. Until next week, I see y'all. Thank you, and God bless.